0: Welcome to the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, M Spa founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Kai Higden, board certified plastic surgeon of Vanderbilt Cosmetic Surgery.
1: Um, okay, everybody, welcome to the. Medical Spa Insider Podcast. My name is Alex Tiersch, the founder and CEO of AmSpa. Uh, Welcome. And on the AmSpa hotline, we have Dr. Kai Higdon, who is a board-certified plastic surgery out of uh, Nashville right now. Is that right, Dr. Higdon? Yep. And and um, we are very, very um, grateful and blessed to have you on the, the show. Um, Dr. Higdon is one of the um, leaders of the Aesthetic Society, formerly known as ASAPS, uh, or still known as ASAPS, but, but you went through a little bit of rebranding, which we can maybe get into a little bit later. But um, for those of you who don't know, um, the Aesthetic Society is a... Um, a society of aesthetic plastic surgeons. I've had um, involvement with them for for well over ten years. Uh, most of the best plastic surgeons, you know in aesthetics are are are, are part of of the aesthetic society. You focus on aesthetics as opposed to reconstructive, um, which you know, obviously many of you still do that as well. But one of the things that's exciting about um, the aesthetic society is they've been very progressive in in their approach yes, to um, using, injectables and non-surgical procedures in their practices. I think they've been, been real leaders in that. We recently have entered into a, a partnership with, with ASAP. So the Aesthetic Society and AMSPA are are doing things together as far as, which allows us to access some of your incredible training that you guys all have um, and, and, and allows us to kind of do things together. So first of all, Dr. Higdon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited and grateful for this opportunity to connect with you Absolutely. So um, the reason we are
1: here is the um, the Aesthetic Society releases a an annual study or report, um, primarily dealing with revenue from plastic surgery practices, and it goes into revenue based upon different treatments, um, demographics, age, and things like that. It's similar um, to to what. To what we release for med spas, but I think it's a lot more focused um, on different procedures. So there's 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 things that we always watch for and we always look for in your report. If any of you are data geeks like me, um, I'm a total dork when it comes to this stuff. I look forward to this report being released every single year, um, and I and, and I have for years. I kind of dive into it because it tells not only does it does it show things about surgical practices, but it also shows a lot about non-surgical procedures, which is really interesting for med spas to be able to to compare and contrast, kind of how this the industry is growing, how the economy is 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 impacting med spas versus versus uh, surgical practices. So, first of all, let's. Um just get a little bit of background um, on you, Dr. Higdon. I know you're uh, you're a board certified plastic surgeon um, out of Nashville. You've had uh, you've recently opened your own practice. I think you said, and you were uh, primarily uh, you know in in academics. You do uh, obviously aesthetics as well as reconstructive surgery, which I think is 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 awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and, and also how you got into um, the aesthetic society.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I um I was uh, really grateful to become a resident at Vanderbilt uh, years ago and Dr. Bruce Shack was my chairman and he took us to the ascetic society meeting and I just was blown away I thought it was the coolest thing saw all of these amazing transformative procedures for people inviting faculty that were really excited about teaching young minds and really resonated with me. I was grateful also to be able to uh, achieve a fellowship with Jim Grotting, who became a president of the Aesthetic Society. And in part of that role, we did a lot in terms of learning, innovating uh, technology. We did a lot of research together and uh, it was really cool. In the state of Alabama, uh, doctors and dentists are the only folks that can do injectables. I learned a lot. My game in the non-surgical arena was really great because Dr. Grotting is phenomenal at that and he taught me a lot and then uh, went on to uh, go back to a uh, academic position at vanderbilt where i was there for over 11 years i just left there but uh, was really super grateful to be a program director for the fellowships in plastic surgery and aesthetic fellowship that we uh, had that was breast body contouring type fellowship and really teaching those nuances and growing that with my other partners that were there too to really create a top-notch program that was there but Really felt uh, like uh, uh, making a transition at this point in my life to really have a little bit more time and control over the practice that I had, but still do reconstruction. I really believe breast reconstruction done well is aesthetic surgery, and that was something that was new back when Dr. Grotting and we were talking about that years ago, and really has become pretty mainstream now to really do breast reconstruction well in the aesthetic way. Yeah. that's interesting
1: you said you wanted to uh, kind of have your own your, your your own practice to get more control over your time and practice and we found that tends to to, to eat up almost more time how, how's that going how are you liking having your own your your own practice
0: yeah it's a, it's a very good point that you're making you know it's uh <laughs> it definitely takes a lot of time and investment and every time that something comes up that's a little bit of a, a trouble or a nuisance I know that I made the right choice because it doesn't bother me at all. I relish those challenges, yeah. and I'm looking forward to the next ones as well.
1: That's interesting. I mean, um, we 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 do a lot in Nashville. Nashville is such a huge market recently for for aesthetics, and it's it's growing like crazy. Um, just the city itself is obviously growing like crazy. But for aesthetics, it's just become almost you know one of the hubs for everything that's going on. I, it's it's got to be exciting working in that kind of environment.
0: It's really cool we've got some really good plastic surgeons in this community board certified plastic surgeons some of who actually have cosmetic aesthetic fellowships through the aesthetic society um, which is not very common and, uh, but uh, we have a small town feel too to nashville and i think right. people like that there's not a lot of talk you know and people take care of uh, their business so um
1: let's let's dive into this report so we will have um this posted on our website we'll make sure that it, that it's available on the a link to it on the podcast page as well um it's it's actually pretty easy to find if you just type in you know asap's or aesthetic society 2022 study um it it will pop right up so this is the these are 2022 numbers that you guys re- released and what's interesting about the study is that well there's a couple things that are interesting and we'll get into a bunch of it but um what I'd like to start with is um just off the bat, you're know, you, you you're involved in, in kind of working on this and, and communicating some of the outcomes and, and analyzing the data. What, when you looked at this study when it first came out, the 2022 numbers, what jumped out at you first? What was the biggest thing that went,
0: jumped out and grabbed you and said, oh,
1: man, this is something we got to talk about?
0: Yeah, so I think the really cool thing is seeing just how things have changed since the pandemic. Yeah. Really keeping an eye on things, how they go year for year. Since the pandemic, because that was the one that we didn't know uh, how this was going to play out. A lot of us were surprised that with a shutdown mm-hmm. and then a reopening, there was this pent-up uh, need, want, desire uh, to have aesthetic surgery. And with some of the changes that were mandatory for a safe, you know, uh, country, safe world to be able yeah. to work from home, try to do. Th- people had the ability to have some recovery that maybe they couldn't do before some money that they were able to save because they weren't traveling, uh, that they were able to put towards something that they were and looking at themselves on zoom calls, right? Some, uh, the telecommunication that they noticed a little bit about themselves when they didn't see that person they were looking at in a zoom call, maybe before looking at,
1: you know, I'd love to ask you about that further because we talk about that all the time. You know, we call it the zoom effect. Are are you seeing that really in your practice now people talk
0: about it? Absolutely. You know, people are still uh, working from home. Uh, There's a, there's a lot, there's some talk about going back to work for some of the mega companies right now and we've seen it in our practice too, but you know, it's a, it's a real thing and people talk about it. Uh, It's the executives, it's the mid-level workers, it's, it's everybody and they're noticing that and that could be something simple like, you know, Botox, something simple like uh, somebody that hasn't really thought about a neurotoxin and they're interested in checking it out, and then they look into it, and they have questions about different brands and your opinions, and you're able to make a connection with somebody that before wouldn't have even been part of your practice.
1: So that's super interesting about, um, you know, about about the interplay between the pandemic and data, and and so let's I, I want to jump into a few things specifically because what's interesting to me about. The surge as a result of that, we saw in with med spas, we saw a lot of very similar things. Although I have to tell you, it's a little bit inverse to what um, happened with with surgical practices. So let's get into a little bit of what the actual study said because I think um, it's it's interesting to kind of read it, read it over. Um, first thing that popped out to me was you know there was obviously a surge in non-surgical procedures in 2022, which contributed to a 14% overall increase in aesthetic procedures. Total procedures were up by 2% in 2000, from 2021, um, and the data showcases an increase of 14% in total aesthetic procedures, Attributed largely to the soaring popularity of non-surgical procedures, which witnessed a 23% jump last year, which is which is very much in line with what we're seeing. Obviously, our our members and our our businesses don't do surgery typically; they're they're typically very separate. But nevertheless, we've seen that same jump um, as well. I think the other thing that jumped out at me, though, which I, is is apropos for 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 you, is that even though there was that massive jump in non-surgical procedures, still fully 70% of revenue from plastic surgeon's comes from the surgery side and not from the non surgical side so which which to me kind of lends itself to some of the things that we've been talking about with the aesthetic society for a long time is that sure you know there's there's obviously this mix between non-surgical and surgical and but there really is a way for this for coexistence between med spas and, and surgery centers because still most of the revenue that you're getting is going to be coming from surgery not from non-surgical procedures. So talk a little bit about that and, and kind of what jumped out to you uh, uh, about about those numbers.
0: Yeah, this just shows, you know, the the importance of having a balanced approach to total aesthetic care, right? So we're about doing excellent surgery, experts doing expert surgery, and that's important to show. And the value that we bring to our practice and to our patients is through both the surgical side and to the non-surgical side working together. So having that increase in revenue from a non-surgical side as we see a decrease because people are going back to work in the surgical side is fine. What's important to know is that even though the numbers came down generally since 2021, they're still 37% above pre-pandemic levels. And by that, I mean surgical procedures. Surgical practices, you know, do financially, they do well with surgery. But the important piece to know is the other 30% is a non-surgical practice. And uh, that's an important, you know, uh, balance uh, to being a true aesthetic uh, practice.
1: Well, for sure. And and I think the other thing that it doesn't, and, and you probably know this more than anyone coming out off the pandemic is that when you have something like the pandemic occur, which of course, none of us foresaw happening, but it, but it did. But um, there's going to be turbulence in, in, in any business when you have um, a kind of a diversity of offerings, it allows you to get through that. Because I, I mean, I remember, you know, when the pandemic happened, they slowly started to open up, you know, some of the medical uh, practices. But it really was at first; it was the non-surgical um, elements that came back quickly first. And I think, you know, your data shows that eventually the surgical caught up and surpassed, and then and then non-surgical took a little more time to kind of really get robust. But but that initial period where people, you know, looking in the Zoom camera, they are off work. They're 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 all, you know, virtual that, I mean, to me, that really showed kind of the, it proved positive of the, of the, of the need for non-surgical um, elements, even in a surgery practice. I, I that's, that's one thing that and I think, you know, nowadays we kind of, it kind of take it for granted, but, but I'm not, I'm not old enough or t- I'm not young enough to re- where I don't remember back in the day when there was a, a tension between surgeons and, and non-surgeons about doing aesthetics and how that was all going to how that was all going to fit together, how people were going to be doing non surgical procedures wh- where is there going to be a marriage between the two um but I think you're absolutely right it shows that like if, if you have a healthy balance it allows you to get through these these dips and these, these these turbulent times and come out on the other side much much stronger
0: yeah I think you're really hitting on a few things that are super important you know when you're talking about changing populations you're talking about changing going through different uh, transitions you know we didn't know what we didn't know before the pandemic but now we do and And by being diversified, we're able to get through that. And in the same way, you know, looking at people's opinions about non-surgical and surgical procedures, 15 years ago, it was something that you didn't talk about a whole lot. And young patients, it was really, you know, off the map for you to do Botox and fillers on younger patients. And I'm talking, you know, 18, 20-year-olds. That's a very high subset of the patients that are wanting these because they're wanting to prevent wrinkles, the pre They're wanting to prevent any aging with skincare, and uh, it's just a different acceptance. And we see that for surgical procedures too, in the very young and also in the older population as well. And by older, I'm just talking about aged, you know, ranges. I'm not talking about any aspersions uh, or anybody. But we did a an interesting paper a few years ago on octogenarians and elderly defined by WHO. Numbers. And we showed that surgery can be safe in properly selected patients if they're 65 or even 80 or older. And that's just an important thing. And we see a lot of patients wanting non-surgical as well in that category. Yeah, you know, I did notice the
1: um, there is a bit of age disparity between surgical practices and med spas, right? So it's it's not great, but um, according to what you, um, first of all, according to, to your report, 95% of all procedures were were women. Yes. Um, we find in med spas, that it's a little higher than that. It's 10, 12, sometimes creeps up to 15% men, um, but usually it hovers in that 10 to 12%. So there's a little bit of disparity there where there's more, um, as a percentage-wise, more women coming to, to strictly med spas than, than, than surgical practices. Then the other thing was the most popular group was 51 to 70-year-olds, um, which is... And then the second highest was 36 to 50 year olds, which for med spas it's it's inverse. It's that 36 to 50 is really number one, um, and then obviously you get into the 51 to 70. The other thing that we're seeing, or that, that I thought was interesting, was the 27 uh, percent of your patients are 17 to 35 year olds, which is you know again reinforcing your point that this that that patients are getting, even though you've the the bulk of patients are older and we're seeing this year over year, the, the the age of younger patients continues to drop and the percentage of younger patients who come to med spas continue to go up. And um, I'm, I'm curious kind of how that impacts your practice and what you're seeing.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, the difference I feel like might be that uh, surgical practices have patients that come in and are looking for a particular surgical procedure and may look at skincare or non-surgical options after having visited their surgeon and having them talk about options that they can use for rejuvenation that they may have not been aware of, which could be different than someone seeking out a purely non-surgical practice. And that may be an explanation for why there may be more men in the non-surgical practices compared to surgical practices that also do uh, non-surgical as well. We are currently doing research with a national database that shows the majority of our procedures looking at men and women as part of the cohorts. And it's still around 95, 96% for surgical procedures overall in that data set of over 250,000 patients. So it's a pretty interesting uh, thing to see. And that may explain that disparity between the numbers.
1: I mean that's something we should have to do. I mean, we should almost at some point take a look at kind of our combined data, which which we do when when we do our data, we always look at yours as well. Because I'm curious kind of how that that interplays because you're right. It's Obviously, the, the type of patient is going to be different, right? So you're the, when you come to a med spa or a purely non-surgical aesthetic practice, you're not looking for surgery. So I think there's a, a distinction there where if you go to a surgical practice, you can always get non-surgical, but, but you're there for, for one type of thing. So it's a different type of patient. But at the same time, the men versus women, I, you know it, it, I, we, we've always thought that there would be more men in med spas. I've had consultants, you know, tell me uh, men are going to be 20, 25 percent of med spa population before long. And it's like and that never has just not happened. It's still remained as women to find that it's 5 percent men at a surgical practice across the board is interesting because it means that they're they're not adapting to that level quite as quickly. Whatever that level is, they they, you know, men tend to still be um, shying away maybe from surgery, but 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 are but are, you know, heavily into the non-surgical side, which is which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and the data bears that out. If you look at top surgical procedures for women, uh, liposuction followed by breast augmentation of the top two, you're looking at around 630,000 procedures compared to the top two for men in this data set, which is gynecomastia or male breast reduction and liposuction. That's around 40,000. So that's a that's a 10x multiplier. So you see that. And you see the power of that. But uh, again, that to your point, maybe that men shy away a little bit from surgery, but we're seeing more and more and some, some practices are purely male. Uh, Doug Steinbreck in New York is, has a very masculine uh, practice and does some really cool high-end surgeries. And
1: for sure. And I think, I think that's an area that, you know, as we see more of those kind of bespoke niche practices that are, that are catered to men, I think we're going to see more men coming in because a lot of the time it's, you know, it's, you know, the chicken and the egg, you know, men want to go someplace where they feel kind of secure and they feel like their, 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 their thoughts are being listened to. And so, you know, I think that's, that's interesting. You know, one of the other things that I, that I wanted to bring up that I've, that I've found interesting from, from our perspective as, as med spas was the increase in neurotoxins and fillers um, which I thought really kind of jumped off the page at me because from 2000 let's see if I get this right from 2021 to 2022 the number the the, the neurotoxin used increased by 24 percent which was um, an increase which looks like um, in in terms of of revenue of like a hundred million dollars and and there was you know eight I think I want to say, eight hundred thousand more treatments. So there's this been this fairly big increase in the use of neurotoxin. Fillers increased by a little bit less, thirteen percent, but still not insignificant. What are you seeing with respect to neurotoxins? I mean, besides it's obviously a good time to own allergen stocks, so all of you should go out and do that. But yep. but besides that, I mean, I it's what's happening in in the world that is that is getting toxin use to be to to, to rise so dramatically over the last few years, which, which has not been the, you know, obviously it's, it's a, it's a weird time, but I'm, I'm always amazed at
0: how steadfast
1: that area of
0: the practices. It's a great point. You know, I think it's that entry level. I've heard of this. I understand this is a thing. Now the younger cohort that we were talking about that want the pre some of the folks that are seeing themselves on zoom that are now having to go back to work. They're thinking about that their competition level where older executives may be fighting for jobs that could be performed by a cheaper, younger, uh, up and coming person. There's a lot across all the demographics that really play into this 9% increase in neurotoxin use, right? And so that's a that's a big deal. And it's something that we see and we see it across all of the different brands uh, that are being offered. You know, the most popular of which you've mentioned is Botox and then Galderma's uh, uh, offerings as well, you know, with this board, but it's a, it's a, it's a really cool time to be, uh, to, to, to be a part of this and see the increase. There was a new beauty magazine article that uh, discussed some things like this, and they showed that people were making choices about what they would give away uh, for the money. And uh, one of the last things that they would give away was their neurotoxin and their skin care. Uh, to the point where it suggests that they may make food choices to be able to keep their Botox. So that was interesting to see. Well, and that,
1: you know, that's always been the driver for our industry, for med spas. It's, it's, it's neurotoxins and fillers. Typically, neurotoxins are are are, are leading the way. And that's what we found too. Immediately after the pandemic, um, we saw this massive increase in neurotoxin and filler use because number one, it was you. It, it was especially with neurotoxin; it's relatively quick, so you could come in. You didn't have to, you know, spend a whole lot of time in a place when we were still figuring out what the pandemic was going to bring. Um, relatively inexpensive compared to other things, and so that just kind of skyrocketed and. You know, it really gets people into the funnel, and it and it gets them coming back, which is kind of what we're seeing now. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier that I that, that I want to bring back up because I I'd like to know what the significance of this is. Um, you you so said that the current surgical a uh, number of cur- surgical procedures um, is higher substantially higher thirty seven percent higher than pre pandemic levels. So back in two thousand nineteen versus now you're thirty percent. Up, um, there was a, a a decline in in from 2021 to 2022, but the jump in 2021 was so substantial that it's it's you're we're still now to the point where we're we're, we're hovering above pre-pandemic levels. Um, you know what's the it, it can't all be the Zoom effect, right? It, like what's driving this 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 increase in in folks wanting to have aesthetic surgery um, now versus before, because that's a substantial increase, especially what we've been through.
0: Yeah, There's a lot of theories around that. And all of us are kind of still talking about these ideas, having a little bit more time to recover, right? So with a a lot of the higher numbers we see are actually with body contouring procedures like abdominoplasty, which has a little bit more of a recovery than maybe something that would be like an eyelid surgery or a breast augmentation surgery, that's a little bit less recovery. Or putting them all together, the so-called mommy makeover, uh, which combined together, people are able to have both, right? And so that's an important consideration as well. Is not just the the zoom visibility driving the interest, but also the recovery part and being able to take more time. And there's also a pent up desire too. You know, when you see this thing where people are uh you want to live your life right and you want to have what you need i think people have found their pent-up desire and wanting to go after something that they maybe have been thinking about for a while and that that may be a part of it as well uh you know for good or bad. no no, no those uh, are
1: those are both great points i i i would love to pull some some patience on that and figure out because i think they're both uh, uh, astute points and that the um there has been a that that switch you can just especially amongst the younger generation where they just like they're like I, look at what can happen i've got to go out and i've got to take advantage of my life right now um and then and then the but i think to me the increased recovery time um particularly in relation to the ability to work from home um, has, has, has really had an impact. You know, the, the other thing that is great for great for surgery practices was, uh, that I stood out to be was the, the cost of surgical procedures, right. Versus the cost of non-surgical procedures. So according to, to, to the study on average, the cost of a surgical procedure increased 12% in 2022 and the cost of a non-surgical procedure decreased 10 percent and prior to 2022 surgeons fees had remained largely unchanged for for several years so um we've all heard of inflation i would like to you know say this is an inflationary but if non-surgical uh procedures are dropping in cost at, at surgery practices what's driving the the increased in in, in cost is it, is it simply supply and demand um what's what's behind that if or what are your thoughts on that
0: i think it's a great point i think it's multifactorial. We've seen, I think, one of the bigger drivers is just really the cost of goods, but more, more importantly, the cost of nursing. Nurses have now been able to command a, a fair price, valuable, amazing caregivers for, to, to part of our team, and they've they're been able to dictate a little bit uh, substantially higher wages, and that trickles down to every level, and that's something that those of us that uh, are able to have amazing nurses as part of our practice – we have to, and we want to show them value, and uh, I think that's a part of it. But also, everything else that goes around it—the cost of water, power, electricity—everything has gone up with inflation. To your point, so it's multifactorial. But I do want to give a shout out to all of our amazing nurses. That uh, I'm glad that you're getting paid uh, the more <laughs> yeah. fairly now.
1: No, that's awesome. I, I I think that's a great point. Interesting though that in your practices, the non-surgical procedures did not go up. Right. So, um, the same factors that we can talk about raising prices for surgery did not impact non-surgical. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. How did that happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a challenging thing. Right. And so for, for surgeons though, the majority of the revenue that they make is surgical. And it may be that they're trying to serve some of the nurses that are, uh, that are functioning as their injectors in, in many States that allow that, uh, most states. They're able to maybe take that uh, that hit on the surgical side uh, and still be able to be market competitive with the non-surgicals, which you have to do.
1: Hey everyone, let me take a quick second to share something really interesting for your business. Did you know that a staggering 74% of consumers shop on their phones while watching TV at night? That's like 7 out of 10 of your patients. But the real eye-opener here is that less than 1 out of 10 med spas actually sell their products online. Can you imagine the untapped potential of giving your patients the convenience to purchase treatments, services, or skincare right from the comfort of their own homes through your very own branded app? That's where RepeatMD comes in. RepeatMD is the fastest-growing software in the medical aesthetics industry, and for good reason. RepeatMD is designed by e-commerce experts who have worked with renowned brands like Target, Nordstrom, and Neiman Marcus, and they'll build your practice its own mobile rewards and shopping app. Clients love RepeatMD, and patients love the experience RepeatMD provides. RepeatMD rewards patients for spending more, encourages them to come back more often, and helps them discover treatments they'll absolutely love. On top of that, your practice can sell memberships and offer Financing for services all through your very own app designed and managed by the experts at RepeatMD. The bottom line is that RepeatMD enhances the entire patient experience while boosting your practice's revenue. They are game changers for your med spa. So, what are you waiting for? Visit repeatmd.com forward slash aim spa to book a quick product demonstration. And guess what? We'll have special pricing for medical spa insider listeners, and you'll receive 50% off towards your first purchase. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Head over to RepeatMD forward slash aim spa today. One thing I also wanted to talk about with respect to your study, which I think is really interesting and, and important, when we do our survey on kind of the business of med spas and the industry itself, we're 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 sending it out to everybody and saying please fill it out. What you guys have a different approach with how you gather the data, which I think is 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 interesting because it makes it number one. Um, consistent, but number two, it also allows you to, to compare year over year very accurately. And that's you have, um, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, about the process and the procedure for the study because it's, it's the same like 200 or so or 2000, whatever it is practices that you, that you gather from, um, year over year over year, which really makes it kind of an interesting, um, interesting cross-section of, of, of the industry.
0: It's a really cool, uh, data analytics, uh, looking at 200 different practices. So it's consistent. It's not, you know, having 20 new practices, some of which may be a new practice, some of which may be a practice that's been, uh, you know, been around for a while that now is part of that data set. So the selection bias is taken out of it in that way. So it's consistent data, but also to your point, it's insistent data, that data is compulsory. So it's put in, it's assumed and you can see it year over year and make quality, uh, uh, assumptions based off of that, because it's not something different. It's the same practice. So you've got standards of care. You've got, you're not looking at somebody that is not board certified. All of these things are part of the promise to give delivering excellent surgery by having board certified plastic surgeons and their team offer care.
1: Right. And you can take some of that noise out of it. I know that's one of the things that we're dealing with is, you know, what's the difference between the practices. If you have a, you know, a multi-location that has Fifty location med spas, they're able to do things differently than a single location. This really takes that out and allows you to compare year over year over year with the same practices, the same, um, the same procedures. Um, when you like, when you first of all, I I, I would love to hear just kind of your general thoughts, and I'll go a little off script with this because because I I I find I. I've have found since I started my own business that that the data and um really is is one of the things that kind of that that I look forward to looking at and and this your study is one of them. What's it been like to kind of be involved in this and and you know the Aesthetic Society um has been doing this now for several years. I know it's a very very sought after um study people anticipate when it's coming out. Um What's the uh, what's kind of the feeling around when you do? Is, is uh, how fulfilling is it to to be involved in this and 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 what's kind of the takeaway for you when this gets released every
0: year? Yeah, it's a super exciting time. You know, it's a great privilege to be a member of the Aesthetic Society uh, on its face, and it's something I've been excited about and yearned for when I wasn't when I was a young resident. You know, but uh, now being part of leadership and being surrounded by some of the brightest minds. Our tech team is phenomenal, and being able to work with them to be able to message out this type of information is really exciting, because data really helps us to show expertise, it's able to show safety, it's able to show our metrics for improvement, and the things that we're showing here, obviously, is more around the changing uh, numbers, but uh, it's super exciting to be a part of something so special, and really leading in that way. Um, we're looking forward to in the future, future plans to maybe showing more uh, trending data, uh, if you will, over shorter periods of time and really leading in that way to not make it this annual, voila, press to digitation, but little uh, bits that we're kind of working through on the backside too. And it's really exciting to be a part of that as well.
1: Well, you know, what what I was going to say is, is that's something that we're looking at as well. I think that's kind of needed, is that right now it's, you know, certain times of the year, this data is released. Everyone looks at it, and it's. But it's. You know, you're looking back in time, um, and it would be great to be able to kind of have kind of live numbers as they're coming up, kind of like they do with the economy a little bit. But um, so that's something I think to look out for. You know, I'm curious. Interesting segue. What? Um, th- and I know you don't have the numbers for this yet, but this year, 2023. What's your What's your take on on how this year is turning out? Because I've. You know, we've heard from a lot of folks that right now things. Seem to be picking up nicely, but this this summer there was definitely a slowdown um, in the number of patients that were coming through med spas. And there's a lot of theories for that. But I'm curious, were you seeing that in surgical practices as well?
0: Absolutely. So we've seen a softening uh, in the numbers that's been commensurate with some of the changes with inflation. We've also seen a little bit of softening with the non-surgical side, and that's important too. People are just sitting back watching with their discretionary income. But then again, there's, it's not a huge hit to the point that we talked about that new beauty article where people want what they want and they're willing to make choices about what they're willing to to sacrifice to continue to feel good, look good and perform uh, in terms of their jobs and their lives. Many people are YouTubers. Many people are vying to be TikTok stars and there's a big part of the Facial aesthetic and uh, the the form that is part of that. Yeah, so. you're, boy, you're right. It's a it's a different
1: time, um, and and you know it's it's such a visual time in our, in our history that's going to be. I can't see any of this any of this going away, but but we've too seen a softening. You know, there's a lot of theories about it. I tend to agree with you. I think a lot of it has to do with just the economy and and overall kind of. Perspective and attitude towards that. I think another thing that we've seen this summer, particularly this was the first summer really since the post uh, since the pandemic where everybody was just was traveling travel was just kind of off the charts. People were going to Europe. They're going everywhere, and so it just kind of everyone was like, "What we're going to travel this summer," and 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 that's that that's kind of it. So it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the year brings and um, how your numbers play out. I mean, any sense of 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 what it's going to be compared to
0: to this year? Do you think you're going to see an increase in surgery or, or decrease? Any, anything? Yeah, and I think it's a great point. So the next few months are actually the most wonderful time of the year, if you would for for practices because. Everybody wants to try to get things done before the end of the year. And this is something we see year over year. But that typical crescendo I think will be interesting to see because there's so much with travel, with Thanksgiving, with Christmas, with New Year, holidays generally. I think that you're going to be excited to see that there's going to be a jump. And uh, I'm optimistic. So that's my – that's my stock prediction. No,
1: I am too. I, I am too. And we're I mean kind of anecdotally, we're already hearing you know it kind of speed up over, over the fall month. So I I think you're right. And you know this is uh, exciting stuff. I, the the fact that that you're doing this, the fact that that that, that we're you know our, our two organizations are are kind of combining on on a couple things. I think is a good step. I think there's there's a lot that we can share and we can learn. Um, you know it's I, it's interesting when I first started. Gosh, so I'm a I'm a lawyer, obviously. And I I started first representing some clients, and I was introduced to uh ASAPs back then and did some speaking at your national meeting. And I remember the first meeting I was at, and I want to say maybe this is the Grant Stevens days or even pre-then, when um one of the big topics was, you know, the use of social media and this the this this number one and then med spas number two like what are we gonna do about these med spas these things are are popping up and and they're 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 taking over market share and, and at the time it was viewed as kind of a you know not the best thing and social media was the devil and it was like oh my god what's going on but it's 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 amazing to think how far we've come in just like 10 years where you know now and, and, and I think kudos to to your society and to plastic surgeons because You know, you have been able to adapt to the changing times and bring the non surgical side squarely within. Your purview while not sacrificing what you are, which is which is a you know surgeons and 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 I think that that the two have really complemented one another um, as opposed to that you know there are other groups who just have are trying who are resisting still. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I don't know if you remember back then because that was that was my first take. I was like, wow, this is crazy because there was a real tension between kind of older surgeons and younger surgeons who were coming up who are on who are on um, TikTok and, and Instagram and all that.
0: And I think it's an important point. You're seeing that generational change. You're seeing uh, the embracing of social media because it's part of our existence. It's part of our business. It's part of something that we want to be a part of. And I feel like the collaboration with AmSpa, we are grateful for that opportunity for collaboration. I think the changes between uh, the uh, generations really makes the difference about our ability to embrace technology to embrace social media, to see, and it's part of our our practice, it's part of our ability to grow as a practice, to become safer in terms of offering safe uh, surgery and non-surgical procedures for our patients. And uh, that's something that we see as both part of our practice and the non-surgical practice. And I think they translate very, very well. One of the things that I think that uh, you'll see is a commitment to improve safety And I think that's something that collaborating with data uh, is going to be a hugely important thing for AmSpy and the Aesthetic Society to really show and to collaborate on the uh, professional development side as well. I'm excited about the future for that. Me
1: too. I think that's a great point. And I think it's I mean, safety is the reason that we're even doing this, right? I mean, it's, and, and it's the one thing that I continually tell again, and and I'm coming at it from a very different perspective as a, as a lawyer and a business owner, I'm not a provider. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't own a med spa, but what I always tell folks is like, look, you know, the only thing that's going to stop, that's going to derail this train from the tracks is, is safety, right? If something goes on with that, where medical spas, non, non physician providers, somehow become um, legislated out of the business because of, accidents or safety issues. Right. And so I think it really behooves us to, to make that a priority and to focus on that. And that means, you know, what are the minimum, kind of the minimum standards for, for injectables? Like there's, there's gotta be some things that we all can k- kind of agree on. Um, and if we do that, I think it's only going to lift the practice up. Cause I, I tell you every time, I mean, we're, right now we're talking about, I don't know if you heard, heard about this, but there's the, you know, a, a, a death from a, in a Texas med spa resulting from an IV therapy that they got, right. That we're, we're talking about all the time very very scary thing but whenever something like that happens my, my, I'm just like, Oh my, Oh my goodness. Like, what's going to be the backlash? Because the, 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 the initial backlash is always going to be, it's, it's med spas. It's these, it's these non, you know, these, the these non-regulated things that are doing it. And the the fact of the matter is, is that most med spas are very safe. Um, the overwhelming majority of med spas are, are very safe and they're run by physicians and, and, and experienced providers. So, but we've got to get that on our, um, uh, we kind of get that on our plate and make sure that we're we're all safe and we're all rowing in the same direction.
0: Yeah. I, I love the spirit uh, from which you're coming, you know, for the aesthetic society, there's metrics of excellence. The, the folks that are a part of our uh, amazing society all have expertise, extra training in aesthetic su- surgery that they're able to show. And that's the surgical side, but it also uh, speaks to the commitment for excellence and expertise, delivering expert care. And I think that uh, that resonates loud and clear. And that's another big part of why this collaboration, I think, is going to be really awesome. Hey, I, I I love it. And there is a, um,
1: I want to say the first. We're going to talk about this more um, in in coming podcasts. But there is a, um, there's a, an injectable course of a, a, a virtual course that you all are putting on that um, that are. That our uh, members are now available to to join and and to look at, which I think is the first time that any you know kind of non surgeons have been have been allowed in, which I think is really exciting. And, and again, kudos to you guys for for allowing that. I think that's huge. So we'll get more information on that. That's got to be exciting for you guys as well.
0: Absolutely. I want to uh, give a big shout out to Dr. Mindy Hawes, Dr. Mobisagi and uh you know just our leadership that have been able to kind of make that collaboration happen to to bring that together to focus on our ability to to work together to deliver excellent care in a very safe way yeah i you know i want
1: i'd go back even further to 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 dr jen walden and and before that because you know this has been kind of in the works trying to trying to get it going now for for several years um, and, to, and to be able to see it kind of get off the ground and, 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 and have us, uh, have us work together, I think is really cool. Um, well, I'll give you the last word. I mean, last words on the study or anything else. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to be on. I know you're busy, um, Dr. Higdon, but, um, I'll give you the final word before we sign off.
0: Thank you so much for that. And thank you for the honor of being here with you. Uh, I just would like to just share out uh, a general thought around this whole, Uh, presentation of our data. Our data is meant to be transparent, to show what we're doing, to show how we're improving, to show how things are going. And it's really a great uh, thing to be able to show how plastic surgeons within the Aesthetic Society really do it a little bit differently to be able to give excellent care and continue to innovate, to diversify, and to deliver total aesthetic care, not just surgery. And we're grateful for this partnership with you guys to be able to continue along that path. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for uh,
1: your time. Um, this is, for those of you who want to check out the, the survey, you can f- certainly find it on the Aesthetic Society website. We'll make sure that we post it. It's, it's pretty easy to, to, to find if, you know, you can dive into the numbers and, and, and look at a bunch of stuff in there. There's a lot of relevance to med spas. So, so those of us who are in Spa, I think, can, can glean a lot from it as well. Um, so again uh, I appreciate your time thank you so much and I look forward to this partnership it's going to be fun
0: to see what we can do with this likewise thank you so much thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast Medical Spa Insider this week AMS Spa founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Kai Higdon board certified plastic surgeon of Vanderbilt Cosmetic Surgery if you're new with us click on the subscribe button Then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.